Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. First, I want to wish everyone a happy and safe Thanksgiving this week. I hope you're able to spend it with those that you love. I'm thankful and grateful for all of you. Our next guest on the ABCA podcast is ABCA second vice president, Rick Hitt. Coach Hitt is also the athletic director and head baseball coach at South Florida State Community College. He's the blueprint for anyone that wants to serve and get involved. It's amazing how much time he's spent in his career to giving back to the game of baseball. Besides his work with the ABCA, he is the NJCAA Region 8 Assistant Men's Director, NJCAA Baseball Coaches Association President, and on the NJCAA All-American Committee. He's also coached the NJCAA National Team six times. In this episode, we take you behind the curtain of the ABCA. He goes into his journey on how he became Second Vice President. The Second Vice President's main responsibility is getting the main stage speakers for, for the convention. We talk about this year's challenges and what he's excited about for the convention. We also dive into what he has seen as the common themes for the greatest coaches he's been around. His role as AD and coach, what being surrounded by educators and in his immediate family has helped him as a coach, and what it means to him being inducted into three different Hall of Fames. Let's welcome Coach Hitt to the podcast. Here with Rick Hitt, head coach, uh, South Florida State Community College, also athletic director, uh, but the list goes on and on, uh, ABCA board member and second vice president with the ABCA. So, Rick, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Let's jump into it. Who got you involved with the ABCA? How did it start for you? Well, to be quite honest with you, it was uh, it was through the NJCA. Harry Tholen, a uh, mentor of mine, great, great, just a great individual in the game and out, uh, former head coach at Santa Fe community college I played there for him in 84 and 85 and when I became a collegiate coach I actually started a a little bit in high school he began to kind of ask me you know if I was interested in 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 the service side of things and I certainly uh certainly um was interested in those kinds of things he kind of got me going in the NJCA side of it I spent a lot of time with several of the national teams on the NJCA side and got into the executive committee with the NJCA as, as the secretary and then the VP and then became the coach's president for years. And then that kind of evolved into the, the ABCA setup once I became the coach's president, a member of the executive committee of the ABCA and, and then was blessed to, to obviously be selected to be in the room with those incredible guys on the board of directors for the ABCA and just the incredible people in the room, the incredible minds in the room uh, who've all given so much to the game of baseball and you know, 33 years later, Ryan, after I started my career as a high school assistant, here we are. And uh, just blessed to be here, man. Blessed to have had the opportunity to start where I was, to have a guy like Coach Tholen in my life, my father, people that encouraged me to to just get after it and, and go and pursue and give back as much as I could. And I think that's kind of the philosophy that I've adopted over the years. And let's go behind the curtain a little bit here. How eye-opening was that uh, for the executive board? You get in that room for the first time. What were some of the things that kind of stuck out to you as you get in that room for the first time? Well, I think, first of all, Ryan, it's the names, just the names of the people that have been around the game for as long as they have. The guys in that room have forgotten more baseball than I may ever know a lot of times. And just the people, the, the professionalism, secondly, of the people in that room, 
uh, you know, from, from the executive director who was when I started Dave Kylitz, just the professional manner with which they did things, a professional manner with the, how the board interacted, uh, the, the ins and outs of each meeting, just really the, 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 the co cohesive organization of everything was just amazing. And then certainly, you know, third, just, just the opportunity to the face-to-face contact and conversations and camaraderie, the things that you got to, you know, still pick guys' brains, but also learn about their families and, and become, uh, you know, a member of the group, so to speak. And that entire, uh, I guess initiation is not really the right word, but that entire, uh, uh, acclimation process for me was just, it was fabulous. Just, just getting in the room and, and getting to know people. And of course, interacting with the ABCA staff, the staff members, all the people that work in that organization that do a great job. You know, they're as big a part of that room as, as some of the coaches because of the things they try to facilitate for coaches. So uh, that that's really been a, a blessing for me and just a joy, to be honest with you, the, just the relationships that I've had a chance to be a part of and and uh, it's been very exciting. And my wife tells me all the time, you know, you're, you're a fortunate guy to be where you are. You've worked for it, but, you know, I am. And I'm very fortunate to be a part of that. I think the thing that stuck out, because I went from 22 years of coaching and then going to work for the ABCA, and I get to go into the room for the first time with those guys, see how much they care for the organization. I think that was the thing that stuck out to me. It was like how the genuine love and care for the organization and, and doing whatever it takes to help the ABCA. I think that's what stuck out to me the most. Yeah, I would agree with that. That That's an excellent point as well. And, and then, you know, the trust that the, that the board has in the ABCA staff, the executive director and their staff, and, you know, basically saying, hey, take this run with us, take us to the next level. Uh, and that's been, you know, that's been something that's happened year after year since I've been a part of this. Just an amazing, uh, amazing climb for the membership and the things that coaches continue to get and the value of their membership and the things that are given back. So excellent point there with how much care there is for the board, uh, from the board, uh, for the coaches across the country and internationally. And for somebody that doesn't know how the process works, your second vice president, how do you get to that point and, and kind of go through some of the steps that you went through to get to second vice president? Well, I think that, you know, you as a member of the board, I believe that and, and a member of, of whatever association you're with, I think it's a matter of um, identification. I think there are there are the president's hierarchy from from the president down each year. I believe they try to work to identify who would be the next incoming president uh, recipient, the fourth vice president at the at the uh, at the onset, and I think so. You know, you if you if you're around those folks and you and you get to know them, and I think that you show some aptitude to wanting to give back and be a part of this and and do and do your part is something that I've always thought is important. Just kind of do your part. It's it's my turn to give and to serve and and to really help this this process. And if they chose me, that would be great. If they didn't. Uh, I'm still fascinated to be a, a member of the board and the executive committee and things of that nature. But fortunately, I, somebody did choose me. They did select me. I did accept it. And when I became the fourth VP, then I moved up to third, you know, helped Danny just a little bit, Dan McDonald, just a, just a hair with last year's couple of high school speakers at the convention and then becoming the second VP and part of the, and really in charge of the speakers um, uh, presentations this year. So that's kind of how it started. You've been with the ABCA for so long. You understand how important it is to with the speakers. I mean, it's a huge part of our event. So, you know, go up, talk about some of the, like the excitement of having to do it and then now some of the challenges that you've had to, 
to go well, through? You know, that's a, that's a great question, Ryan. I, I, um, I, when, when really, when I got into this, knowing what year, you know, you kind of go out and you map out what year will you be the second VP and who, what year and where will you have the speakers? So the first thing that hit me was listening to Craig talk about what a wonderful atmosphere Washington DC was going to be for the coaches, uh, their families, the, the, the area out there on the Harbor and all the, just the, just the, the first time being there in a very long time. And then, you know, obviously the excitement of being able to, to pick the brains and ask guys who I have great respect for, who I thought would do a great job as presenters and, and, you know, picking those guys' brains as to whether or not that was something they wanted to do. And I'll tell you something, man, going through this process, all the outstanding people I talked to, I heard the same word from just about everybody. And it was a privilege or honor to when to even be asked, and then obviously to have an opportunity to do it, to be a speaker on the main stage. I heard that word from so many coaches working through this; it was unbelievable. I started this process, you know, back about a year and a half ago. I uh, really wanted to get a head start on it. Wanted to talk to some people uh, in the room. Wanted to try to put together some collaborative efforts. And uh, we have a we had an outstanding group of people at the onset. Um, that we're going to be a part of this. And obviously with all the changes in all of our lives across the country and some of the challenges that we all face, some of those folks were not able to do it. Uh, we certainly hope they'll get another shot here in the next couple of years. And, uh, and then the folks that ended up on the presentation list, man, I just, it just was amazing how quickly people said yes and how much they were willing to do uh, to be able to pull this virtual process off. Obviously the challenges have been much for, you know, obviously Craig and the entire staff there peeling this off, first making the decision and then putting this together little by little. And then the coordination of the whole thing uh, is another one of the challenges. But I'm really proud of the coaches that came in to do this. I've heard nothing from from but great things from Litch about how the presenters have gotten their information back and how communicative they've been in, in the process and how many things have, have really kind of fallen into place. And then being able to be a part of it myself, being out there for about a day and a half and introducing all the speakers. And, you know, the ABC office is fantastic. It sounds like a great place for you guys and everything you're doing. And the whole staff is is interacting in the process. Uh, so to be a part of that was great. And then, of course, the professional people that the ABC put in place to help put this thing in a virtual mode. Those guys were very professional individuals when I was there, uh, really helpful very supportive of the of the process of trying to get everything right. And that was my biggest intention. Once my part came in this, I just wanted to make sure we got it, you know, as clean as we possibly could. And, and you know, for the benefit of all the coaches across the country, because it is a little bit different. And we want, we want coaches to feel very comfortable with what they're seeing as many times as they want to see it and be enthusiastic about the presenters that they're seeing. And I think they'll get that if they click on those videos. And that's Mike Harley and Pixel is who runs the audiovisual part of it. And they've been with us with the on-site. So, you know, even though we had to go virtual, there's some things that line up for us to have a really great virtual event because of Pixel, uh, because of Freeman and Corcoran, who we use for the exhibits. We have a lot of things in place to make this a really good event. Even though it's virtual, it's going to be phenomenal. Um, and Mike Harley and, and Pixel, they do such a good job. They they made my life much easier last year with the youth stage speakers. And uh, it's going to turn out great. The production value is going to be tremendous. We're paying for it. But, again, we want this to be a, a great event for everybody involved. Absolutely. 
being out here, I mean, what, what were some of your other thoughts about being out here and going through the process virtually out here, but then also being in the office as well? Well, I thought that there was as good a setup, in my opinion, as could have been. I, I know there was some conversation about maybe going to a, to a hotel or an onsite in Nashville or somewhere else. But, you know, being a being actually having it done in the ABC office there in Greensboro, I thought was pretty was a pretty cool idea to begin with. And it and just seeing the, the platform once I walked into the building and saw, you know, the couple of coaches presentations that I was there for that were live. Um, I thought that the, the scenario was outstanding. I don't, I don't know that you could have, could have picked a better situation. Uh, you can command the entire approach from, from your office. Everybody could have their input from the office. And really that, when you look at that, that frame and how it's set up, it, it's, a, it's an outstanding replication of what would normally be on a massive stage in a grand ballroom at one of our hotels. So yeah, I think it's as good a situation as the ABCA could have done with it. I know the board of directors is going to be extremely proud of how this thing came out. Uh, and um, I think all the coaches that do it will, will, will be a part of it. They'll see that as well. Just being around the group there, obviously, you know, I, I try to interact with the group everywhere we go and the different conventions we have. So I appreciate the efforts of the entire organization and everybody in it. And being out there and seeing the walls and the, and how you set up the offices, it's a really cool, it's a baseball atmosphere, but it's also camaraderie. You know, there's a there's a good camaraderie amongst the group, and everybody seems to to do their part and pull their weight, and and that makes this whole thing come together, man. And I think that's what what the board trusts the most about this is the process. And that's the neat thing for me because I. I didn't know anything about the offices until I took the job and to introduce our offices to the guys that are coming in that haven't been here before. I'm excited because I, I think once guys get here, like you, you're a proud member, but I think once you see the offices and you see how everything's laid out, like I think you even get more pride with, with being a member with the organization, with, with seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. I think people understand that the ins and outs of the daily grind that goes on to, to present this and to continue to grow this membership and the things that are done, uh, it, it, it is it is something people can take great pride in as members of this of, it, of this association. You talked about Coach Stolen and and service. Um, I mean, was that some of the best advice you got as a young coach? Was like to to really be in it for service. Well, I think that when I first started, you know, I, I was a high school. I, I was coming out of college, Ryan. I wanted to play pro ball, and I hurt my arm, and I didn't get an opportunity to do that. And so immediately I thought the best way to, to stay in the game was to coach. So I became an assistant coach in high school. And immediately, I, you know, I kind of walked in there as one of those guys that thought, you know, I'm just going to get after it and I know all this stuff and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push my, my, uh, uh, my, my voice onto these guys and try to help them and, and teach them and things like that. And we're going to win a lot of games and all that. And then after about a year and a half of that, you know, I started looking back and, I, and you know, teaching 14 to 15-year-old kids as, as only a – as a 20 year old, 19 or 20 year old guy, there's not much age difference there. So, you know, you gotta be a, a you gotta get to the point where you figure out what exactly is I'm trying to do. I mean, am I trying to win baseball games or am, am I trying to grow people? Am I trying to, you know, help produce productive citizens? I mean, what are some of the things I'm doing? And, and as I continued to evolve, I started watching things that happened on the field and I would pay attention to longtime coaches that were in the game and, some of the things they did and, and certainly would would uh, would talk with my another one of my mentors who gave me my first job, Jim Howard, the head baseball coach at Sebring High School, gave me my first assistance job. 
And I'll forever be indebted to him for that because 33 years later, here I am. And, you know, we would have conversations about kids, just, you know, who they are and what they needed and the things that, that needed to, to, to help them. And I began to evolve, I think, as a coach, Ryan, when I stopped thinking so much about teaching a guy how to throw a breaking ball or to teach a guy how, you know, which path to run the 60, you know, how fast to run the 60 or how quickly he could get to second and started being involved more in their lives and trying to improve them. Now that's, you know, there's some tough love that's involved in some of that. I'm kind of an old school philosopher, so to speak. So even being somewhat of a young coach, I, I believe there was a hard work blue collar effort that went into things. And, and as I grew, that kind of evolved with me. And then when you get to play for guys like Harry Tholen and you play for Paul Maneri and people like this, just great people in the game, you start to, to really appreciate the time and the effort that, that they've evolved at in this game and the things that they've done, not only success on the field, but the things that they've done uh, off the field in their communities with their families. And those things really resonate with you as a young coach. So I think it kind of started for me a couple of years in when I was an assistant coach. And then when I got my first head coaching job in high school, you know, I was off to the races and running and, and I started developing my own philosophies and such. But I had a lot of help from a lot of people whose brains I picked throughout my career. And I still do. Uh, I've got great friends in baseball. Uh, that's one of the great things about the game is, is you get people like Coach Tholen in your life and Coach Maneri and those type of people, uh, high school coaches, Gary Rapp and Brent Omer, these types of folks in your life. And you, and you start with that and and then you take it and run with it and whatever it becomes, it becomes. And now you, you interact with a whole different set of people as you continue to grow the people in the state of Florida, the coaches that I coach against uh, just a great, great, great group of guys in our region, the coaches nationally that I've interacted with and coached against and been on committees with and things like that. It's just evolved into that, that, that entire growth of people. And I think that that more than anything else, you know, when we talk about things in our program, it's about growth and um, whatever I can do as an individual to help people grow, I do it. And, and that's something that I think uh, I learned a long time ago and I've continued to try to do it. And whether you win national championships or state championships or you win more than you lose, all those things are great. and We all strive for that. But I think at the end of the day, who these guys become it's more important to me, I think, than some other things. And I think that's evolved. That's been the biggest message that I've received from coaches over the years is who, who your players become one day, you know, husbands and fathers and leaders in their communities and people that learn to give back. Um, so you know, these are the kinds of things that I think uh, that, that have helped me evolve as a coach and helped me become the, the person that I am today as well within the game. Do you think it helped you – starting at the high school level first and really having to deal with high school players first uh, before well, think, you got to the JC level? You know, I think every level that you coach at has its its own set of challenges. I, I personally believe that the JC level may be the most difficult level to coach at simply because of the amount of turnover you have with players every year. And that's no offense anywhere else. But, you know, you don't get players for four years. You don't get them as freshmen and see them through as seniors. So I, I do think that's difficult. But I, I think you have to learn – uh, who you're going to be as a coach, regardless of what age level, you know, there's, there are youth coaches out there right now that might see this video or coaching 12 year old kids. And, and, you know, that they, they need you, man, they need, they need that everyday support from you. They need guidance as people, they need guidance as baseball players. So whether you're starting then, or you start in high school, uh, I coached a little summer league from time to time when I was a college player, when I'd come home for the summer, 
So that might have helped me a little bit too to get to get some get the process moving. But I think that transition from high school to college is one of the major transitions that people make in their life. Some people take that transition, they make it overnight and they, they fit right in. And it takes some people a little bit longer. And I think that helped me understand that being a high school coach and then being a collegiate coach, understanding where they came from to where they were now expecting them to go. I think that helped me understand a little bit more about developing my philosophy. Well, you, you junior college guys, you do the heavy lifting for somebody else. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're dealing with the 18 and 19 year old. And then now with getting another year back, you may be dealing with the 18, 19 and 20 year old to, to help them figure things out. And then somebody else is really reaping the benefit of you guys dealing with them at a younger age. Well, I think every time Ryan, we're able to advance, you know, student athletes from our institutions and get them and, and help them accomplish their goals as being four-year school players and four-year institution students. I think that's part of our responsibility. And, uh, you know, I take that, you know, very seriously. And, and we've always had a very, very good uh, rate of return, so to speak, with that. And uh, we, we, I have no problem doing some of that heavy lifting because I think I know, and I know the junior college coaches across the country will, will probably feel the same way, how important this year or two they have with us is in their, in their ladder climb, how important it is for them to be in this process. Because this is the introduction, so to speak, to the next five years of their life. What happens after year five, Ryan? You know, they're not playing pro ball. Where do they go now? What do they do now? Here comes, here comes the real world. So I think these, this year or two years here uh, in the JC setting is something that's very, very important for them to establish their long-term, you know, success in life. And Coach Reardon was here when you were here. What have you enjoyed about coaching the NJCAA national team? You've done it six, well, six times, right? Yeah, I think it's just been an enjoyable time to, A, to, to be around the players. The level of talent that have is one thing, but the enjoy that a lot of those guys have to play the game is phenomenal. And that to be around so many guys on a, on a national team that really enjoy playing, you know, they came from different, come from different parts of the country. They represent the NJCA extremely well. Um, and, and those guys enjoy playing baseball and they enjoy competing. And when you get 25 or 26 guys all pulling the rope in the same direction in that manner with that enthusiasm, that level of enjoyment, man, that's a lot of fun. It really is. And the coaches that have, have supported those players and been a part of those coaching staffs, I mean, you know, just outstanding people, not only great coaches on paper when it comes to wins and losses, but just outstanding people. And the philosophies, it's so funny, you know, it's not really funny, but amazing how much, you know, being a part of these several teams and the different coaches that have coached, how much philosophy sharing there's been and how much of that is the same for people who are successful both on the field and off. And, and those, you know, being around guys like Mark and Jeff and, and Doug Wren and, and our, you know, our trainer for several years, George Sanders, outstanding people within the game. Galen McSpadden, guys that I started in the National League a couple of times with. I think that these are, these are people that, you know, you're around and you see the success that they've had. Dave Grant, uh, these are just outstanding people. And I think that, uh, you know, Tom Arrington, uh, uh, been a part of a couple of staffs with Tom. And these are all successful people on the field and they're successful people off. And, and uh, that's, that's a really enjoyable ride to be around those guys. You talked about common themes. What, what are some of the common themes of guys that are successful? Well, I think, you know, and I go back to uh, Zach Crabtree also when we were in Oklahoma, that 
one of the things is, you know, the organization that all of these guys have, uh, you know, I'm a big organization guy. I, I, I'm, I'm big with that. I always have been. I think I learned that as a young age. I think, you know, I had three jobs. Your three jobs at a young age, my, my players look at me like I got three heads. You worked three jobs and you were in high school. So, uh, and you got to be, you got to have some organizational skills about that. I think I get that from my parents, to be quite honest with you, both very organized people in their own right. But when you sit and talk to these guys, organization first, you watch the scheme, you watch the practice plan, you watch the daily schedule that each one of them produces. That's, that's kind of where that starts. And without organization, there's chaos. And, and those, you know, when you bring so many different people from so many different places, like we're all used to doing as JC coaches, and now you bring them with that level of talent and those level of expectations and all the things that go with it, organization's a big part of that. So I would say organization A, B, just the, the enjoyment of being on the field with them in the teaching mode, the conversations you hear, the chats, the, the different group settings, uh, the one-on-ones, the different things, and the enthusiasm that each of those coaches has brought to the atmosphere to try to help those players uh, in that scenario. And that's something else. Besides organization, you got coaching enthusiasm, the enjoyment of being out there. And then I think just baseball IQ. I mean, you're talking about some of the, some of the better JC guys and very possibly some of the better coaches in the country in terms of baseball IQs. They understand the game. They've been around it a long time. They can teach it. They can coach it. Um, and, and that baseball IQ is pretty big when it comes to these things. And then last, I think that creativity is something that, that a lot of the guys that I've been around have possessed. And we've tried to do that a lot in, in our program here, be creative in a lot of different ways. And I think creativity has a lot to do with some of the successes folks have because it, it, it puts you in a position to not to be concerned about trying something. And when you try something because you're trying to benefit your players from it, that's one thing. And if you found out that that works, you stick with it. And if it doesn't, you scrap it and you go to something else. But I think that creativity was a part of, of those national team staffs that I was with too. And I, I think that's part of the success level that, that they had. What do you wish someone would have told you before you took the athletic director's job? Um, you know, I, I did get some really good advice from a couple of people. Our, my former athletic director here when I first started, Karen Holler, who was an outstanding volleyball coach and an outstanding administrator in person. I was only here for a couple of years, the two and a half years, and then I became the AD when I got here. I think that more than anything else, um, just you know, be prepared for all of the all the extra time. And, and granted, now I'm 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 a I'm a workaholic, so I don't. The extra time's never been an issue for me. You can my my wife can vouch for that. But just you know, be prepared for the extra time in the areas other than the sport that you coach. And because I am a dual person, because I coach and I am an AD. I think that you needed to be prepared for all that because it's kind of a 24 seven gig. You know, the phone really doesn't uh, stop ringing in a lot of days. And, and a lot of those calls are very positive calls and they're great calls. And unfortunately you get some, some challenging calls that you got to deal with. But honestly, I think just be prepared for all the extra time and effort that's required to be put into it. Uh, I didn't need someone to tell me that, but I think that if you're a young AD getting into it now, I think you should expect that. And I think you should embrace that because if you don't embrace it, it, you know, it, it becomes kind of a clog in the artery of progress for you. You don't, you don't really get out there and get after it the way that you should, because you, you've got so many people on different teams that you're responsible to. And I think that's something that you have to embrace the extra time and you can't just cut the day off at five o'clock and say, yep, all right, I'll be back tomorrow because there's a lot of extra time that goes into these things. 
But I would think that's probably something that if someone had told me the extra time, you know, um, might be something to, to talk with young ADs about as well. What tools are you using for organization? I mean, that's the key to being successful is organization. So what like calendars do you use? What are you using to help you stay on top of everything? Well, I, I just use it. I mean, I have three different ways that I do it, man. I have a general master that I run and I'm, and I'm a hands-on visual person. So I literally have a hands-on master, Ryan, that, that is as big as a I do too. piece of poster board, you know, and I got, I got ruler cut squares, you know, for six months out of the year and I got handwritten dates in them. So I got one of those, man, that's kind of my master. I have a computerized one that I have that I give to all of my coaches uh, and I have them fill in as we add or subtract things uh, weekly, monthly, uh, you know, by semester, however we need. And then I just have that, you know, that little reminder note. I, I used to have a little pad that was my reminder note. Now I have, I've evolved into notes in my phone, which I've never been real tech savvy, but I can now find the notes section in my phone. So I have some notes in there. So the, the combination of those three kind of keeps me moving. And for me, man, I just, I honestly, I try to stay ahead and we're not so big. We only have four sports. We're not a 20 sport program, uh, but I just try to stay ahead of as many things as I possibly can, because I know that the baseball side of it, you know, when you're knocking down 80, 90, hundred hour weeks between everything, plus tra including travel with your teams, you know, you've got to, you're indebted to the other programs to make sure that you're doing everything you can to keep them in a place where they can have success and, and everything that they need from you. So I just try to stay ahead of that as much as I can. How often do you meet with your staff? So your athletic program as a whole off, how often do you meet with everyone? You know, honestly, we're so small, Ryan, honestly, we, we're all in the same building together. We see each other on a regular basis. So we have a staff meeting from time to time. I would say, you know, every, you know, maybe once every couple of weeks, we have a, actually a, a meeting of about six of us, seven of us, but we have daily communication. And that's some of the things that I think are important for people is daily. Even if you have a program that's got a bunch of coaches and you, maybe you have some coaches that coach offsite and uh, you're at different campuses, there are some challenges with that. But I think there's a way to have some daily communication with your coaches to try to stay ahead of it. And I, we, we, we try to encourage that as much as we can. Coaches let me know what's going on. I let them know where we are, what we're doing. Uh, I forecast on this Monday, two Mondays out for them to kind of give them a heads up for planning, things like that. So we just, I just want to be available to them as much as I can be. And I want them to be able to follow up as much as they can be with me. Similar to running your own team, you know, do you run your own team then the same way as you run the athletic department? Very similar or are there differences? I think there are differences because, you know, you, these are these are colleagues that you work with. There's a different type of relationship, I think, in some respects. And your players are players and they are, they, they are the ones that are looking to you for guidance and advice every day. And they want the work habits from you. They want the, the, the discipline. They want the schedule. They want this. They want from you in that respect. And I think that as colleagues, they expect the same type of stuff, but it's more of an informational time. I think one of the best things you can do as an athletic director is put people in place that you feel confident and then let them run their programs. Let them go coach. Let them be a part, you know, let them take control of that because the micromanaging thing for me doesn't work. It may work for some people, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I like to have people, I, I like to say, this is the foundation we're on. Here's what we have. Here's our budgets. Here's, here's our opportunities. Here's our schedules. Go get them. And I, and I like to, to give people the freedom to try to do as do the very best they can 
without feeling handcuffed or hand tied. And then I think your players, you know, they need those things from you. They need for you to, to push those buttons. They need for you to put them in those positions. And then they need for you to be the one that sits and says, all right, guys, we're going in this direction today. And this is what we're doing, how we're going to run our offense. This is how we're going to approach this guy who's pitching against us. You know, it's a soft lefty and here's what we're going to do. You know, we've got to play great defense. You got to keep the two old guy off the bases, whatever your philosophy is. They need that knowledge from you in terms of schematics and then the daily discipline that's required uh, to be a college student athlete, the whole schedule from first thing in the morning through class to practice, to study halls, to weight rooms. They need that, that regiment and that scheduled regiment from you to be able to have some success in their life. And I think that as they grow, that regiment becomes more of a common place for them. They get to four-year school, they're used to it. They chip away at it. It's a bigger atmosphere, but they chip away at it. And then they leave four-year school and they don't go to pro ball, but their life is in great space, in a great place. They've got a degree. And now they continue that process of the scheduled regiment in their lives. And I think that that's something that, that I think players need from us. I was fortunate in 22 years of coaching to have some great athletic directors, but talking to other guys, and it was about probably the last 15 years where I really felt like what we missed at the four-year level was ADs that had coached before. You just don't see it as much anymore. And I, it's got to be great for the guys in your athletic department or girls in your athletic department because you do coach, because you do understand the challenges that they have. We just don't see it as much, especially at the Division One level. Very rarely are we going to get a D1 AD that, that coached. And I think we miss some of that because I, they just don't understand at times what coaches have to go through on a daily basis. Well, I think there's some, there's some, some truth to that probably Ryan and I, and I think that the more, the better relationship coaches have with their athletic directors. Uh, and, and I, I'll give an example of, for instance, my president, I, I'm, I'm a direct report to my president. So he's kind of like my athletic director, if you will, for the way our coaches are with me. And, and uh, I think that, that that relationship is, is two-sided. I think it's my responsibility to help inform my president as much as I possibly can on things that are important within the athletic arena and keep him as, as, as informed as I possibly can so that he has the opportunity to make decisions in the best interest of our program. And I, and I know that a lot of guys and a lot of ladies that coach out there work really hard to do that. So I think that, that comprehensive information that you constantly do them, when you have someone that becomes a member administrator above you, who maybe came from a college or an atmosphere that did not have athletics, let's say, you know, having the opportunity to, to help educate those people respectfully uh, with the way you do things and how athletics works and how it's a little different from the general student body, uh, from a schedules perspective, from a, from a demands perspective, things like that, you know, having an opportunity to help educate people that way and some freedom to do that, man, that's huge with administrators who allow you to do that. And then, you know, as you mentioned, ADs who didn't coach, some of the greatest ADs in the country never coached a sport, and they have, they have helped uh, their athletic departments become, you know, top-notch athletic programs across the country. But I think and you're right to an, to an extent, the relationship with their coaches and the understanding of what the coaches deal with with the student-athletes every day can continue to blossom if there is a little bit of coaching experience there that goes on. You're in a family of educators. Your wife teaches your two daughters. What, what have you learned from them um, and what you're doing? 
Well, I gotta be honest with you, man. I, uh, my wife, you know, these hall of fames that people are asking me to be a part of my wife's the real hall of famer at my house, buddy. She is, she is, uh, 30, 34 years of, as an elementary school teacher. And you want to talk about impact and lives, Ryan, that that's some life. Impact. my wife teaches I, also. I'll tell you, so you understand that. And I mean, there's not a place we can go, you know, as a, as a coach, you, from time to time, you get a call from a former player or you're, you know, you go play somewhere else and maybe one of your players is an assistant coach somewhere or you go recruit and now he's a head coach at a high school or things of that nature. So you, you stay in touch from time to time. You see him occasionally. There's not, Ryan, there's not a place in our community that my wife and I can go to eat, to grocery shop, to the movies, you name it, that we don't run across a former student of hers uh, from first or second grade. It's unbelievable. And the, and the, the immediate the immediate connection that that kid or former student has with her is off the charts. It's unbelievable. So the impact that they make as educators, I got to be honest with you, man, it's, it's a true hall of fame mechanism. And my daughters to choose to go into, I, I taught adaptive physical education for 10 years. That was my job when I started coaching, maybe one of the, the greatest times of my life, to be quite honest with you, those 10 years of being a part of that program. But my daughter's choosing to go into education and follow in the footsteps of my wife has just shows it's just another example of what type of person and example my wife is in this education field. And we have discussions. You asked what I learned. We have discussions and she talks about second graders and I talk about second year student athletes in college. And you'd be surprised how sometimes there's some similarity there. Okay. It's sometimes amazing how there's some similarity with those conversations. So uh, I've learned a lot from her from a patient's perspective. She is literally one of the most patient people I've ever been around in my life. She has an amazing outlook uh, from, from teaching her students. Uh, you know, talk about someone who cares deeply for their kids is, is she is, she has a story every night. And, and it's just amazing that 34 years later, she still has this enthusiasm to make a difference and to put these kids on the right path educationally in their life. So, you know, you asked me about them. I'm, I've learned a lot from her and uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm excited that my daughter shows this path. And I, I think they'll both be great at it. They're just in their first couple of years. I think they'll both be great at it. And they, they both have a, a true, um, a true love for kids. They do a lot of camps. They, they were they're in the theater. So they do have a true love for, for youth. And I think that, uh, that's part of what you need to be a good educator. You know, your kids are older now and you're a self-proclaimed workaholic and I, I am as well. How did you balance family life when they were little? Cause I, I talk to coaches now, like, I'm like, Hey, good luck. You know, you're going to white knuckle it when they're little, you know, how did you guys balance that when they were younger? Well, first of all, obviously having a, an amazing wife that, and, and who keeps you updated on, all right, we got dance this, this Friday, or we've got, you know, she's got a swim meet next Tuesday and, you know, honestly, like staying ahead of being an AD and staying ahead of all the things that you try to stay ahead of so that people are organized and in place and ready to go. It's the same process with your family. If you don't want to miss things, get ahead of it and, and try to work it out. And I, I really I was fortunate, man. I, I, um, I was able to to move some things around from time to time and be able to get to a lot of the things that my daughters are a part of. Uh, a lot of things happened in the evenings and at night on the weekends. And if we were, we had a day game, I would have an opportunity to see those kind of things. It doesn't work out that way all the time, but I, I don't remember missing a whole lot. 
Uh, and I credit my wife to that for keeping me, keeping me up to date week to week and month to month on what's coming up in their schedule. Because I told her, I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to work all the time, but I don't want to miss what they're doing. So, you know, let's stay active with this. And she was, she was great about reminding me of things. And, and I was able to see a lot. And I, and I treasured those times. The other time when, when, when they were little, when they were first born, you know, I, I was gone a lot, obviously coaching and on the road traveling and with the team and coming back. So my time with them, man, was at night. You know, when they would get up and need to eat or something, I would, I'd say, hey, I got them. You know, that was my time with them. I'd have my little path in the house, walk them around. And that was our bonding time for that 30 or 40 minutes, whatever it might have been. So I think as, as people, we find time, regardless of when it is, to make those connections and build those relationships. And I was fortunate to be able to accomplish that. You're around some great guys. Do you have any fail forward moments? Do you have anything along the way that you felt like was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now, maybe the best thing that ever happened to you? Um, you know, man, honestly, I, I think that, you know, there, there might've been a time in my career that, that I, I was frustrated that we didn't win games that I thought we should have won early on, you know, when I was, when winning was a, you know, kind of at the forefront of my mind. And I, I kind of felt like if I didn't calm down on that a little bit, it might burn me out. And uh, so I think that I needed to, to work more on the process versus the result as an early on coach. And I think once I figured that out, uh, that, that helped me a great deal. You have any early morning routines or evening routines that you like? I mean, your schedule is crazy. Do, do you have any routines that you feel like help you with your energy level throughout the day? Well, I've always been a morning walker, runner type guy. You know, I do a combination. I've always enjoyed doing that. And now we've inherited a, we've inherited a dog from my oldest daughter who can't have the dog at her house. Isn't that convenient? And uh, he's a pit boxer mix. He's about 85 pounds. And uh, he and I are together every morning, you know, whether it's 545, 6 o'clock, 615. So we do our thing together and we're out on the road and we get back and I drop him in the backyard and I go do my thing and come back and and then get myself ready to go. So I, I've always been a, a walker runner. We've had a younger, I had a, a really old dog, Willie, um, who, who used to do that with me for years till he got to the point he couldn't. So um, that's been kind of my routine in the morning. Um, hey, how, have, how many of your own guys, your players get dogs? That was probably the, the most contentious I would ever get with players of mine is when they would come start talking about that I'm gonna get a dog. And I'm like, this is the worst possible thing you can do right now as a college athlete is to get a dog because one, your roommates are going to have to take care of it. So they're going to hate you or two, you're not going to be able to deal with it. So now mom and dad are going to be the ones that have to take the dog. Well, I think that that's an automatic here, Ryan, because there's no dogs allowed at our dorm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they don't really have that option. But for those that I have had guys over the years who lived in a, an apartment setting or who live locally here who do have dogs and and I, you know, we talk about them from time to time. It's like, look, man, that's, that's as much a responsibility. It's like having a you. kid. Yeah. As anyone else. So if you're going to have one, you don't pawn that off on somebody else uh, to, to take a responsibility for that, especially if you want to build a relationship with that animal and have it for a long time. So uh, yeah, it, it happens from time to time. You've had some great mentors. What are some resources that you dive into? I mean, you have a great network of people that you can talk to and ask questions, but somebody that maybe doesn't have that type, those type of resources and connections, 
where some res- what are some resources outside the ABCA? And I, I think we're as good as any from the video library that we have now uh, and the app. But what are some other resources that you feel like have helped you? Well, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm a little old fashioned and, and you're right about the ABCA and their tutorials and the videos. Those are things coaches can go to. But you know what? Reading, man, reading books. Go, go back and read some books that the really good coaches have put out there. Uh, I, re- I read, I didn't, I never really sat down and read a book cover to cover. I'd always kind of go flip around the pages and try to <clears throat> dive into the content that I was interested in that day. But I've, I've read several books. I can't really name all of the ones I have between base running and, 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 you know, defense positioning, things like that. Uh, just, you can pick things out of books as you can get. And I know there's been a lot of really good books on baseball. Secondly, you know, I, I, I'm a, I, I like talking to colleagues. I mean, I like to, to have conversations with them. Even, even Mark and I, when we came up to Greensboro, we, we ended up on the same flight and we, we sat and got a bite to eat. And we talked baseball for 30, 40 minutes waiting on our board to board our flight and just the different things that we see in our programs and the different ways we adapt to it, you know, and, and I think those are, those are really good conversations for young coaches out there. I would certainly obviously recommend you know, we're a little bit more in a tech age than I was when I started coaching. So the ABCA stuff is very, very good for visual aids and, and there's content, you know, beyond belief there. But I would tell people, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call your local community college coach or call your local four-year coach and just shoot the bull with them, introduce yourself, get get to know them, go go to a camp that they run, you know, go, go, go be on the field with them and go to a camp that they run and ask questions about it. And you'd find all these varied philosophies from people out there who have great success. And, and I think that as a young coach, if you're motivated to do that, you have to be somebody that's willing to, to be open-minded and listen. And, and that was one of the things that I, I was hoping that I would accomplish in my career. And I felt good about it after my first couple of years. And um, I would certainly encourage people to do that. So reading, connecting with coaches, get on the field with people that know what they're doing. Go watch baseball games, you know, not, not professional, no offense. Don't go watch professional baseball games, but go watch, go watch baseball games where baseball players play and learn the intricacies of of it. And why did a coach bunt in this situation? Or why did he throw a slider in this spot? Or why is that guy hitting in the three hole and not the nine hole? Go, go learn some of those things on your own from watching baseball and picking the brain of some of those people that, that make those decisions. I think you can learn a lot that way. I think picking up the phone is a huge one. Baseball guys are willing to help. Some of my best relationships that I have in coaching were guys that either picked up the phone and called me or just walked into the office. Ubi Martinez coaches at Liberty High School in Iowa City. And he literally just walked into my office one day in Carver Hawkeye Arena and just to talk baseball. And I, I just, I think people need to do that more now um, because people are willing to help. Absolutely. Baseball is, a, is the camaraderie game. And there are, there are great people all over the country that, that, uh, that take it that way and use it as a platform to help each other. And uh, that's one of the many things. And then growing the game, of course, comes from that at the same time. What does it mean to you? You're in the National Junior College Athletic Association's Baseball Hall of Fame, Santa Fe Hall of Fame and Florida College System Activities Association Hall of Fame. I mean, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, that, that's a very interesting question. I, I guess I would start that answer by saying, you're the first person to ask me that. Awesome. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, Good. I love it. All, all three of those Hall of Fame. We've had a couple reporters ask a few questions, but to, to be quite honest with you, man, I think that it starts with in, in 1988 when I started coaching, I didn't take my first step in the third base box in my first game and go, all right, here's my first step to the Hall of Fame. It, was, it wasn't wasn't in my thinking. It wasn't something, you know, you just – it wasn't even a, a consideration or, or a glimmer of in my, in my in my eye, so to speak. And I think that – Hall of Fames come and go, and I think that, you know, the more you're the, – the, the larger level of longevity you have in doing something, in my opinion, all the great people that I know have done this for a really long time. And I think that that says either they're super, super lucky or they're pretty good at what they do. And I'm not saying that that's me, but I, I think that when you've created an opportunity for yourself from others giving it to you and then you build upon it, and then other people recognize that. And then you really take the, the true care and interest in the lives of other people. And you put that into the forefront. I think eventually people look at you and go, you know, that guy's he's pretty good at what he does. So when I look at other folks, I look at all those things. You know, somebody's been coaching, uh, you know, 25, 30, 35, 40 years. They're obviously doing something right. And their contributions come in a lot of different ways. And, you know, when I when I was first nominated for for the Santa Fe Hall of Fame, it was as a player on the 85 team went to the World Series. And I thought that was the greatest thing. I took my family up there and I saw all the play, all the guys that I played with. And it was just a great, a great memory and a great time to share. It wasn't so much that we were members of the Hall of Fame, but but we had gone and accomplished this goal together as a unit. And that was kind of fun to interact with all those guys and see them again and be around them. You know, when 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 I was nominated for the, the Hall of Fame in Florida, I, I was just I was kind of floored. The same thing with the NJCA. I'd had people ask me a couple of different years uh, if I had been nominated, if I if I would be willing to fill out the paperwork. I actually de declined doing that <laughs> for about two years, to be honest with you. I I, um, I didn't really know what that meant. And I, I really wasn't, you know, considering myself as a candidate for these types of things. But when several people start to bother you about it, and I don't mean bother in a negative way, when they start to, to bug you about it and they want to to somehow promote what you've done in the game or, or throughout your life, you know, I asked my wife about it and she said, that's that's great. You should you should be proud of that. So you asked me what it means to me. Um, I think it's I think it's a, a, a wonderful thing to have on paper when someone says, look at that guy, he's a Hall of Famer three times. But, you know, the impact that I try to make on a regular basis, Ryan, in, in other parts of, of, of my life, with my family, with my players, with my coaches, with my administrators, with my colleagues across the country, th those are the biggest things. If I was never in a Hall of Fame, I would do things exactly the same. That wouldn't change. I'm not, I don't go out and try to create ways to find a way to get into a Hall of Fame, you know. So I think being a part of that, I'm humbled. I'm completely honored. Uh, I feel that, that way about those things. And I, I just, I'm, a, I'm amazed that there are people out there that felt that I did that good a job that nominated me for these things. And that's, that I guess is something that means a great deal to me, that there are others that think that I'm worthy of that. And, you know, my dad <clears throat> who passed away in March, he was, he was the that he, he got so far as soon as the NJCA thing was announced, you know, we didn't get to go cause it, cause they canceled it. So I, I think they induct us this year officially. He was the, he was the most excited 
of all of us. I mean, he was like this, this, I was like that. It's, it's, you know, son, you have no idea. It's just, it's this great, it's this great thing. And you've done this and you've done that. He was so excited, Ryan. I think that people that are genuinely excited about stuff like that for other people, that's what life's about. I think that's the key. I mean, being, being genuinely happy for somebody else's success, I think is the, the key to living a great life. Hey, anybody on the fence right now or hasn't signed up for the virtual clinic, what, what should we tell them right now? I would tell them, guys, get after it, man. You're going to love it. It's, it's uh, you know, think about this. You're not locked into the process of, of uh, being somewhere on the road, spending money for three days. Uh, you, you have a chance to, to, to get all of this right there in the comfort of your own home, in your office, uh, in the backyard, wherever you want to watch it. There's an outstanding presenters list that I'm grateful for every one of those guys that, that decided to do it. Um, we had a great, you know, we had a great, you know, first four hitters, so to speak. You know, you get the Monty Lees and the Chris Pollards of the Worlds and, and, and Jim Brower and guys like that. And then you follow them with Reardon and Willis and, 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 and Brett and Bla- Blaylock, him and Coach Frady. Blaylock. That one's going to be awesome. I it's dove in on that. Good. I love the military guys. Like, I'm a huge military Absolutely. guy. That one's going to be phenomenal from a leadership standpoint. All of those things relate to what we do every day as people and what we do as coaches. I, I would I would look I would encourage people to look at that speaker lineup and look at some of the topics. There's some off topics there. There's a there's a you know Danny Roselle, the pitcher is the ninth defender. That's a great topic. We don't do that all the time, and that's uh, that's something that we we put in place. He and I spoke about uh, you know even Johnny McCormack, the, you know coaching first and third base. You're a young coach. You're trying to get into it. There's some intricacies that go with that kind of stuff. So there's some topics in there, Ryan, that I would encourage people jump in there. And look, we got great hitting guys. We got great pitching guys. The great leadership, as you mentioned, from guys. I think that uh, it's a very good lineup. I was excited about the lineup. I was appreciative to all the guys that did it. And if you have not um, signed up for the virtual convention yet, I would encourage you to do so. I think you'll be be com- pleasantly surprised. A eh? And, and greatly appreciated once you're done with it. We have some good youth stage guys, too. Mark Polymeropoulos is an ex-CIA guy that is on the youth stage. His speech will be something that not a lot of people cover, which is phenomenal. Nick Sussman works for the Urban Youth Academy with the Nationals. His is on parent-child um, relationships. And then you forget about the hot stove sometimes. We've got nine hot stoves this year, so it's going to be really similar to, to what the on-site one is. And then even for somebody... Yeah, you know, I've had guys email me that maybe they they've got tournament going on that weekend or they're with their team. All the videos, if you sign up, all the videos will be in your account a week after, and you'll have those forever. So Absolutely. again, that's just Absolutely. another reason. Even if you can't be there Thursday through Sunday, even if you can only be there a day or two, still get signed up because you're going to get all four days in your account a week later. Hundred percent. And I would encourage guys also get into that gamification mode that's going on, you know, get in there and get some points, try to win a raffle prize. These sponsors that have been so loyal to ABCA for all these years have been through a really difficult time. And some of them are still hooked onto this and supported it. And, and I think that those folks are well deserving of, of people's, you know, patronage when it comes to purchasing things. So I would encourage guys to take a look at those sponsors the people that have been through a really tough time who still took it upon themselves to be a part of, 
of this process. Well, and they keep our dues down, you know, and, and, and that's part of support the people that support you. They're still on board. They're still being loyal. We need to support them because they're the reason why our dues stay so low. Absolutely. Yep. Phenomenal. Thank you, coach. Um, look forward to seeing you during the, the virtual. Ryan, thanks for having me, man. Take care. Best to all you guys up there. Thanks, Rick. There were so many great takeaways with Coach Hit. Organization was a big one. I see that in every person that is successful. They have elite time management skills that allow them to maximize their time each day. He also emphasized successful coaches enjoying teaching, having baseball IQ, and creativity and willingness to try new things. Also, if you haven't signed up for the convention yet, I hope this gave you the nudge that you needed to get signed up. Uh, trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. Uh, it's a great opportunity to learn and grow as always. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt Weston, ABCA office, for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks and leave it better for those behind you. I don't have